G'day and welcome to the Beyond the Message podcast. Hey, it is great to have you here tuning in to part two of our bonus episode for the Problem of Jesus series. My name is Lockie, I'm the host of this experience and really my job is to help guide those 167 hours beyond Sunday or beyond the message so that you can grow your faith all throughout the week. Today, I sit down with Chris and Riley and we talk through the questions, the really big and tough questions that you guys sent through the website. So in this episode, we had to do two parts because the first one, we couldn't fit it all in. So we've got another jam-packed episode of five big questions. We talk about Jesus' view on homosexuality and transgender. We also talk about, does Jesus have a plan for my life or does God care about what I do with my time? And we also take a look at what it feels like to have a relationship with God. So we hope you enjoy our attempt to answer these questions. Thanks for tuning in. Part two, bonus episode, wrapping up the problem of Jesus series. I know we've said wrapping up a couple of times because I said wrapping up in part four, wrapping up in bonus episode one, but this is the, the last installment. The final wrap up. Of problem of Jesus. Or is it? When you have... No, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> you got to clear that part three first. We're um, coming back with a brand new bonus message. No, I'm just no, kidding. Okay. Good, good, good. We can move on. But what a great series. What great questions. Uh, we kind of gave you a teaser towards the end of the last bonus episode with this first question, which we're excited about. But before we get into that, last week we talked about Kevin Rudd. And he's Australian. <laughs> and I feel as we, the... Oh, we do too. Sorry, we talked about his tea. And Kylie Minogue. Yeah, gosh, we hit so many... We, we talked, talked about, about shapes. How did, iconic shapes. Australian. How did we Very, talk about we all three of those things? We talked about Tasmania. Without talking about and Mount the Irwin. And Mount Isa. Yeah. yeah. Bindi Irwin. Yeah, we managed to talk about all these Australian classics without Talking even mentioning Bindi Irwin. Yeah, Bindi. that's true. Gracie mm. Irwin, Gracie Warrior, the new baby. New baby. Anyway, yeah, um, turns out Kevin Rudd has launched his own tea. So that's a correct fact. Mm. Uh, it looks like there was some sort of competition just scrolling through this article I now. I think he won it. Kevin Rudd came out on top, beating the likes of Alan Jones. Yeah, Jonesy. Kerry-Anne Ken- Kennelly? Kerry-Anne Kennelly. Oh, her. good mornings with Kerry-Anne. Uh, seven times... <laughs> Sorry, can we pause for a minute? <laughs> I have no idea who these people no, are. No, no, no. Chris does. They're I'm noticing a generational gap. Yes. Iconic Aussies. And he also uh, nudged out seven-time world champion surfer Lane Beachley oh, and country Lane. music star John Williamson. Okay. A true blue. Mm. There's some great names. Um, so they had a big, big competition where you could go and try all of their elected teas that they created themselves. And then it came down to an 80,000 person survey poll. Yeah. And the Honourable Kevin Rudd came out on top, releasing go. to the world the Aussie afternoon tea. What a great tea. It I is. love an Aussie Arvo. One of the greatest. Didn't realise that Kevin 07 was behind it though. Isn't that great? I actually did notice that you do like an Aussie Arvo. I've been to your house a few times and mm. I've, I have noticed it. Um, but can I just finish with this this wonderful take from, uh, from this website? Go it ahead. says that... In creating his unique Twining's Australian Afternoon Tea, Kevin blended the slightly smoky Russian caravan with the full-bodied Irish breakfast oh and then goodness. added the light Ceylon oh. orange pekoe. Sorry. Don't know if I said any of those words correctly. Wow. Sorry, I got so excited from Russian caravan. 
very underrated tea, I feel like. There's not many people on it. Do you, have you doubled in the Russian caravan before? I've never. No, no okay, all right. The fact you got so excited. Irish breakfast is probably uh, my second favorite tea to the Aussie afternoon. As in just teas you can go down to Woolies or Coles and grab. Yeah. Russian caravan coming in at third. Russian I had caravan. no idea it was a blend. Are you telling me that's a blend of both? That's why teas? you like the Australian afternoon so much. Amazing. That, what, the truth and revelation that's come through. I'm going to make a note to go and try the Russian Russian, 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 Russian blue. Caravan. Irish breakfast also fantastic. Wow, that is that has who would have thought served me a truth that I did. And it not was launched in Brisbane also, about. so it's a it's a Brisbane original. Incredible, isn't that exciting? Wow. Well, the more you know, hey, and what a transition! And what a transition! You doing well first? Ready to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm stoned. I'm, I've had an Aussie after. I'm yeah, buzzing. Buzzing. Well, let's get cracking Can't into these questions. Chris to take the first one. I, w- I want to say, though, if you think that last week's questions were heavy and big, I, like these ones are potentially bigger. Um, you are the hype man of this podcast, <laughs> and saying, I, am, I am here for it. I'm just saying that they are. This, there's one in particular that is just like a brilliant question that made me just like think about my own life for a long time. Mm. Um so I'm excited. Stick around to the end of the episode yeah. and we'll get to it. Just click that you in. <laughs> <laughs> well, seeing as you're listening, let's get cracking into this episode. Riley, this one is coming your way. It's for me. Great. I mentioned the last episode. It is. Okay, it's the one from the last episode. Um, oh, how- no, this I told Lockie I didn't want it. It's <laughs> yeah, just a nice, healthy handball. <laughs> Riley, how can I talk to God? And they want to know, will he talk back will he talk back this is actually it's actually i know we've said all the questions are really good <laughs> questions. this is actually a really good question um i think when it comes to talking to god speaking from experience i've you know grown up um i've grown up with a church experience family church when i was younger so prayer has always kind of been that um you know that thing that's been either i'm, I'm seeing it over sunday at church or i'm seeing people like before before dinner pray for other people yeah grace um yeah, before dinner. And I know there's some people that will, you know, say say grace, pray over a meal before dinner, but don't necessarily engage with the church community or anything like that. So I think there's this question of like, okay, what does talking to God actually look like? Um, and I think it's one of... Um, Sorry, can I just ask, do you guys have a family grace? Yes, yeah. I do. Come Lord Jesus, be our Ooh, guest. I'll let this food to us be blessed. Amen. Same. That's yours? Same. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Love That's it. an awesome one. Do we you, love do you our have bread. One? Oh. We love our butter. But most of all, we love each other. Isn't that I just realized it's not a grace. Yep. And that's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Emma's, um, Emma's fan have one. It's, oh, really? it's fantastic because her dad's a pastor. It's really deep and theological. Mm. Thank you, Jesus, for this lovely food. Amen. Oh, see, I've heard, yeah. thank you, Jesus, for this lovely food. Ripper Jesus, you're, you're the, the dude. dude. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Zach, oh. friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. No idea if he's ever listened, but he's our friend uh, of the podcast. He yeah, gets I love up. You, Zach. He's great for a ripper at Jesus. Any moment. And Ripper Jesus, you're the dude. We thank you for. Sorry, this I awesome just completely See, I, no, messed up your flow because I realized, like, yep, that's exactly the Ripper Jesus. Yep, you're the dude prayer is a good one. That is the correct way of, of doing it. Not to say there's a correct recipe for prayer, which we can now talk about <laughs> in this, this conversa- conversation. How can I go about uh, talking to God? Thing, one of the things we look at when it comes to prayer, prayer really is um, a conversation. And the two things I want to hit um, that if you don't take away as I possibly kind of fumble my way through this is that when it comes to talking to God, 
God doesn't want your perfection. In this conversation, it's not a matter of saying everything's uh, saying everything right, whether that's in your head, just with your eyes open when you're sitting on the train coming back from uni or driving to work or going to pick your kids up from school. Like it's not a matter about getting the perfect um, recipe for, for prayer or saying the right things or anything like that. Like God doesn't want your perfection. He wants your heart's attention. Uh, the second thing I'd say is develop a rhythm of prayer into your everyday life. So just develop a rhythm of actually talking to God in your everyday life. Um, so not just at the traffic lights when you want the light to go from red to green really quickly <laughs> or when you're in the car park and you just really need a car, uh, car park really quickly. Um, like develop a rhythm of prayer of talking to God into your everyday life, not just in spontaneous or sporadic moments. Those are the two things I'd say as we go about how can I talk to God. When it comes to this question of how can I talk to God, um, I get it. Knowing what to say to God doesn't always feel easy. And, and sometimes prayer gets weighed down um, by, you know, just mis- misconceptions of what a general kind of conversation uh, looks like. Thankfully, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, uh, he taught his disciples uh, to pray in a really kind of yeah, clear way. Um, so when you look at one of the books or one of the Gospels, Matthew 6, um, verse 9 uh, to 13, or sorry, Matthew 6 is the chapter, um, Oh, I'm all over the place. Chris, <laughs> I don't know what you've written here. Lord's Prayer. Why Lord's, am I? I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Let's come back to that. Oh, let me tell you what Jesus taught his disciples uh, to pray uh, like. Because um, he walks them through and he says, this is, how, this is how you can pray and how you can talk to God. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory of yours, now and forever. Amen. And maybe this is a prayer that you've heard if you've grown up in a, uh, a maybe a Christian school. Uh, maybe this is a prayer you've heard on assemblies or in chapel, um, or you've just heard it at some point in your life, even if you've been to uh, church before. Uh, but really, when Jesus is walking through, like this is how uh, you can pray. Um, if we kind of break it down, I think there's kind of six things that are really unique in here, because he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we go through and actually look um, at this prayer or when we pray this prayer, again, really simple conversation with God. Um, God says, like, start off by just focusing on God. Our Father in heaven, hello be your name. Spend time focusing on who God is. Um, And then he says, your kingdom come. And the key word there is kind of reflecting and aligning uh, your will or like your will really with God's will. So you're actively like seeking uh, to align yourself. Which we'll talk about more. We will talk about in the more. Next I know that's a, a funny questions. one too. Um, and actively seeking God out in your day. Then Jesus says, and then just pray, give us, um, give us our daily bread. And um, this is really our opportunity to release to God just any of the concerns that are going on for us. Our everyday struggles, things we're concerned about uh, in the future, things we've been holding on to from our past. Um, this is a time of, of really saying, you know, God, this is this is what's on my heart right now. This is what's stressing me out or worrying me. Each concern, you can list them out. Um, and then God says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Sorry, Jesus uh, says this. And, and this is our time of, of almost like response. And we use this word of repent. Like, and repent, I know, is this funny church word. Um, but really, this is bringing to God the things in our life that we know we simply can't fix for ourselves, or the things that we've done in our life, that we continue to do, and we know it's rupturing our relationship with others and ultimately rupturing our relationship uh, with God in the process. And, and this is our time to respond to him and tell him what is ever on your mind. Um, it's creating a space for him to hear it. 
It says, uh, deliver us from evil too. And we talk about kind of God's protection uh, in our life. Um, and, and when Jesus is, is talking to his disciples about this, he's saying, uh, consider praying not just for your own protection. Thank God for, your, for his faithful, faithfulness uh, in the process. But also, what are the, some of the things uh, in your life that you need protection for? Or remember um, the moments in your life where things just seemed hopeless, like you, you were really anxious or you just had these, these, these thoughts that were just really overwhelming for you. Um, these are the things that we can bring to God and request for God's protection over, over our hearts and our mind and our soul. Um, and then God kind of, sorry, Jesus uh, really ends with like, you know, and, and celebrate, celebrate what God has done in your life. Like it's this reflection at the end of this verse, uh, at the end of this verse um, and, and look at ways of, of how uh, he's just shown you who he is in the process. So, so to um, recap, I mean, that first part of the question, how can I talk to God? Well, simply Jesus gives us a way to through the Lord's Prayer. And I, I notice you've got here a lot of R words, but we've just got refocus on God, realign your will, release your concerns, repent and respond, request God's protection, rejoice and reflect. That's a lot of steps, but simply that's just giving framework to what the Lord's Prayer does. Yeah, yeah. And it's not saying like this is, this is you know, how Jesus shares with us, you know, how you can pray. Like this is how he taught his disciples to pray. Um, but I think you can even learn something even from uh, the prayers of Paul. And, and Paul, um, if you know about Paul, Paul was a guy who was his whole life agenda was really just to terrorize Christians and lock them up. And um, Paul, it was only when he had this crazy radical encounter with Jesus that he actually became a follower of Jesus. Paul's got this great uh, letter that he wrote in Philippians 4, verse 4 to 9, uh, where he writes, rejoice in the Lord always, which is a really hard thing to do when we're struggling. And often I know when it comes to prayer, for those of us that don't have that rhythm of prayer in our everyday life, and I know even for me personally, there's times where it's like in the pivotal circumstances, that's when you're, you're reaching out to God and that's when you're starting this conversation of like, okay, God, I need your help now. Like it's not just a traffic light car park situation, like there are things going on. Um, but even you look at Paul's prayer, he writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. He says the outcome of this is, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, and I think there's this really kind of clear kind of application we can take from, from Paul's uh, kind of letter here because um, what he's kind of saying, and this is a kind of a fun activity you can do within the week when it comes to prayer, is he's saying like, God, when it comes to us and, and having a conversation with God, we can just say like, God, this is what I'm thankful for. This is what I'm thankful for. And you can even journal this. I love writing these ones down. Like, God, this is what I'm thankful for. I then draw a line uh, to literally insert in, insert in kind of like a primary school, like activity sheet. Like, this is what I'm thankful for. And then you can also say like, God, this is what I need. Um, God, this is what I'm thankful for. And God, this is what I need. And I guess that hopefully gives a little bit of a response to that question of how can I talk to God? But will he talk back um, in answering the second part of that question? Like, Obviously, if we look at prayer or conversation with God, like it's illogical, you'd feel pretty silly if you didn't expect God to literally answer back in some way. Um, so if we're praying or having conversation with God, it stands reason we should expect to receive an answer in some way. This is like talking with anyone. Um, and this is the thing, right? Because God is a talking God. And we see this throughout all of biblical history. Um, if you look in uh, across the Bible, like God speaks to Adam and Eve in the garden. He has conversations with Moses at the top of a mountain, he tells prophets about the future and gives revelations to apostles. And so we can read and say that 
in or we can read the Bible and, and see key moments where it actually says like, and God said, and God said. So often in, in the Bible, um, we can overlook the significance of how God's actually talked throughout the timeline of history. So God loves uh, to speak. And that's because I think he's, he's passionate about knowing us and being known by us. I guess we can look at the question like, does God communicate through an audible voice? Um, I know for some people that they've, they've said that they've had God speak to them in that way. For others, it's, it's through a really clear kind of prompting. Um, for other people, they, they talk about dreams as well. Or, um, and you could say even with like a clear prompt that you could say that is the Holy Spirit working. Uh, for others, God has spoken through other ways, which he wants to be known by us uh, through. Uh, so what we kind of see from Paul's writing is that he will respond. It's the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But ultimately, like God is more concerned about who you are becoming than what you think you need to be doing. So again, coming back to full circle, those two points at the start, God doesn't want your perfection when you talk to him. He wants your heart's attention. Um, and again, this is, this is why developing a rhythm and prayer into your everyday life um, is so key. Because uh, if our conversations with God are just so sporadic, what does that say about the kind of relationship that we have with him? Well answered, Riley. That is a, a big question to get this episode started. I'm going to give you a bit of a break and flick over to UCP. Mm. We've got a very, uh, I guess, a theological question. I mean, they're all theological, but this, this <coughs> person's asking something specific about the Bible. And they say, why were there large stretches of time in the Bible that God was silent? Is this not cruel? Yeah. The second part of that question, I'll be honest, I've never actually thought of it that way before. Um, that God, you know, God being quiet was being cruel. But having said that, let me let me go to the first part of it and, and, um, and then I'll enter the second part. I'm assuming um, that this person's referring to what we'd call like the intertestamental period, which is the 400-ish years between the end of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and the start of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, although technically Mark was written first. So it's not Matthew. Yeah, uh, in terms of like uh, chronological sequence, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not in chronological order. Luke comes first. Um, Luke comes first. Luke comes first. Mark, Mark, sorry, Mark, sorry, not Luke. Jeez. Names flying everywhere. That's okay. No, thank you for correcting me. Um, so Mark comes first. So yeah, there's about 400 years and it seems like God's silent. Um, how I would answer that silence, you know, like what God, what was he doing? Why, why 400 years of silence? For me, it seems that in retrospect, what he was doing was waiting on the Messiah. So he'd kind of, if you look at the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament sets up this theme that, Hey, God's going to do something in the world. Jesus is going to come. Something's going to happen. And what you look at when you see that this time of time of history, um, you see that when Jesus came, there was almost a universal language in Koine Greek. Um, the road system that the Romans introduced meant that it was really easy to travel from point to point. The Roman Empire was powerful, so there wasn't a whole lot of war. Um, it wasn't peaceful, but there, there was relative peace for that point in time, which meant that it was far easier for the message of the gospel to spread. So I think that, that God in that intertestamental period was waiting. Um, now, the, the other part of the question, like, is it not cruel um, that God kind of remains silent for so long? And I think there's the assumption there that if scripture's not being written, that God isn't talking. And, and I might be wrong. So I apologize if, if I've read that too much into it. But it, mm. it's almost like if there's no nothing being added to the Bible, then it must be silent. But the reality is that it's been more than 2,000 years since Jesus lived. Yeah. 
which means it's far longer than that intertestamental period right now. So there's there could be this assumption that well God's just gone silent again, um, and and I wouldn't I would contend that that just because scripture isn't being written doesn't mean that God isn't speaking, God isn't doing something in the world. Um, there's two ways I would say if you want to if you want to hear hey be able to hear from God. There's two primary ways to do it. Um, well, there's more, but these are just keep it simple, right? And, and my thing would be scripture and community, right? If you want to hear what God has to say, open the pages up of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, start reading. Um, and if you want to hear what God has to say, then get in community. Because there is nothing, um, for me anyway, I know that when I have decisions to make and one yeah. of the questions that I'm like, oh man, like is this, is this a choice or is this a decision that God wants me to do? And it's a big decision. Typically what I'll do is I'll pray about it and then I'll take it to other people. And sometimes I'll say, hey, here's a problem. What are your thoughts? Other times I'll just simply say, hey, I've got a decision to make. I'm not going to tell you what the decision is. Would you just pray about it and see if you get anything and, and come back to me um, if you get anything. And sometimes uh, they respond. Other times they don't. And for me, that's a way that you can, you can hear from God as well is by talking to other Jesus followers about it. So, yeah, I don't... Um, yeah, I don't take the assumption that just because God's silent, you know, in terms of scripture being created, um, means that God isn't continually talking to us yeah. and moving in the world. Very good. Ties into the first question as well. Yeah. Um, which again, I think as well, is going to lead very well into this next question. This one's for both of you. Um, Riley, I'm going to hand it to you first for a little bit and uh, and just knowing that this is a, a nice complex question as well. But uh, one of our listeners wants to wants to know, does Jesus have a specific plan for my life? It seems that some people think that you have to know exactly what Jesus wants you to do. How do I move past this? Dot, dot, dot. Oh, it's ended on. It's on an ellipsis. An ellipsis. (laughs) Um, Ellipsis are always great. Um, I, I just look at like even after you know, that first question, like, does Jesus have a specific plan for my life? It seems that some people think that you have to know exactly what Jesus wants you to do. Mm. Um, and to be honest, like, oh, you know, would it be um, a great reassurance in my life if I if I knew exactly what Jesus wanted me to do with it as a disciple and as, you know, a follower of Jesus who is, you know, wants to live out a life where more people can be pointed back to Jesus in the process too. And um, if there was a straight kind of like game book as to how life was meant to be lived and I got the instruction manuals on day one, like, whoa, like you'd, you'd be set. Would that, yeah. would that give you that achievement? I think it's this great question to put yourself in, even as a hypothetical would, of like, would I then be content if I just was living out like what Jesus wanted uh, me to do? And um, again, I, I think you know, Jesus is really clear Um his instructions for followers of Jesus, even looking at part two, like of what a follower, a follower of Jesus is, or a follower, sorry, more so, um, like looks like, uh, and the cost of following Jesus and denying yourself, taking up your cross, um, and following me. Um, does Jesus have a specific plan for my life? I totally understand. Um, even working in a high school context, that for young people, it's just this paralyzing fear that. You know, I have uncertainty over where I'm going next or yeah. what I need to do. But what I've also learned in not just working in a high school context, but outside of that, it's for a lot of people, even fully grown adults, 
um, it's, it's a paralyzing fear, this uncertainty of like, am I getting my life right? Is it actually in order and pointing towards a distinct direction? And I say it within my own life too, in that young person gap as well. Like, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's this real challenge. Like, you know, is there actually a specific plan for my life? And I think we can sit kind of uh, waiting for a sign from uh, God, kind of like an open uh, door to kind of walk through or uh, like a feeling, we can wait on a feeling uh, to, to say mm-hmm. like, okay, if, if, if this is how I'm feeling right now, like, is this the right thing that I'm meant to be doing? Just, just based off like what God wants me to do. Like, do I write off this feeling? Or do I have a feeling of peace on this? Like there's so many things um, to consider, which is why I think this can, question of like the will of God is, is so confusing too. Um, I've heard of kind of like three ways that God's will or the will of God has been talked about. Um, one's like God's sovereign will um, in the sense, and again, feel free to do research here and, and ask more questions, but God's sovereign will. So kind of like uh, it talks about like the detailed plan that God has ordained on someone's life, that everything happens is according to God's sovereign plan uh, and, and really talks around like God, almost like micromanaging our life. God knows all things and sovereignly plans all things. So there's kind of like this one view of the will of God in that way. And then there's like the will of God through God's moral will. Um, and this refers to, you know, God and what he's commanded, um, what he desires from us. Um, so if the sovereign will of God is how things are, then his moral will is how things ought to be. So this is like how life works best, if that makes sense. And then the more traditional view is God's individual will. And this is when we are, are looking for those questions of like, where should I live? What job should I take? What does God want me to do with my life? Um, and we seek God's individual will. We want to know his individual specific plan for the one, what, where, when, and how of our lives. Um, and again, this is the traditional understanding of God's will. Um, but if in answering kind of that specific plan, like for me, I know that there's so many things that I'd love to have control over. And I just recognize the more I become control freaky with so many things, the more worried and stressed I get at the fact that I'm not in control of everything. <laughs> um, so I, I think... Uh, yeah, to, to kind of get to some type of bottom line here is one of the, the things that I've learnt in this journey is I really do have to surrender the fact or surrender, um, you know, my present circumstances and my future um, to God um, and that the only way to really understand God's plan for me is to, to see Jesus truly for who he said he was and what he's done in my life already and, and trust him fully as well. Um, and that's why I kind of recognize that, you know, there is a lot of decisions to make in life. Is there a correct one every time? Like, is it a matter of like, yes, to this one or no to this? Like, um, and the answer is like, I, yeah, I, I don't think there's like a wrong answer in the process. I think God gives us really clear parameters mm. uh, to kind of work within. Um, and I know Chris has a really good illustration for this as well. Um, but I think the posture that we need to take on um, as followers, as people, is yeah, seeking wise counsel with others, like people that we trust and talking to them about plans that we have or, or what we're hearing from God or our conversations and prayer with God, but at the same time actually invest in our relationship with Jesus because ultimately I think this is a big trust issue um, that we're talking about here in this question of is there a specific plan? Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. Riley teased us a little bit and yeah. said there's an illustration. Yeah, I look... Um, it's a big question, right? So the way, the way that I kind of like to think about it is that I, I just think there's so much pressure that people put on themselves for like, and I think it's like, we see it in school. Like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? You got to 
figure it out by the end of year 12 and get I think it's is it ATAR now no you got, you got to work it out in grade 9 because you got to yeah. work out the subjects you want to take to that's so true but this is the questions right it's like those big impeding like questions of like where am I going what am I doing am I heading the right direction like I feel like those are the big voices that are just screaming into your ears if you're in that real state of like oh and I just feel like we can sometimes take that over into our walk with God. Like I think one of, and I, and we miss, and I'm not saying that this question is arrogant, but sometimes I think we can miss how that can come across as arrogant because it's like, oh, well, I've got to take this God job because God wants me here and God needs me here and God has to, and it's kind of like, well, hang on a minute. No, like God could use someone else if he chose to. God could get the job. God is not limited by our decisions to mm. step into that. And so I think sometimes that gives us a lot of freedom, which is the way that I like to think of it is that like, it's kind of like a playground and God's kind of like, Hey, you know, Matthew, you want to, you want to know what you want to know what your life's purpose is. Go and read Matthew 28, go to the, all the world, make disciples my name. Like let people know about me, teach them about me. That's, that's my will. Mm. Um, and then God's like, you got a massive big playground to play in. If you don't, if you, as long as you play in the playground, you don't step outside of the boundaries and then any decision you make, God's kind of like, I'm pretty happy with him there. And so for me, I think that that's, that's one really helpful way to think of it. And this is probably the, the second thing that I would, when I look at these ideas of, hey, what's God's will for my life? When I, when I read the stories of people in scripture, when, they, when people seem to come to a, a reckoning of a specific will, and not everyone seems to have this moment, but there was like, oh man, this is the thing God wants me to do it never seemed like they really wanted to do it. Like if that, like when I look at Moses, God's like, Moses, I want you to free the people from slavery. And Moses mm. is like, sweet, here's my way of doing it, God. And he goes and kills a guy. And then God's like, no, oh, no. And then like God finds him in the wilderness and he's like, here's the plan that I want. And, and then Moses all of a sudden is like, oh, like how will they know it's me? Oh, what if it doesn't work? Mm. And there's all these reasons why. And you look through all the time and... um. You know, Jonah was always, ah, oh, nah, God, like here's, here's a bunch of reasons why it couldn't happen. And there seems to be over and over and over again, this very, very uncomfortable kind of position that people felt when it was like, it was very clear. God's like, here's what I want you to do. Uh, and people were like, no. So just be very careful. I, I would say when you're talking about God's will, um, don't attribute it to something that like, oh, this is what I'm feeling. And then label it as God's will. Because most of the time, the things that God is calling people to, like when we look at it in scripture, are things they didn't want to do in the first place. Um, and then there's just a little sidebar. Here's something to think about. is in Acts 15, 22. After the Council of Jerusalem, after they've made, like they're kind of having this like big church meeting. They're like, how do we communicate this out? This is how they responded. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Like it wasn't like they like took this moment to like, we should have this big prayer meeting and we should you know, discern the will of God. It was just kind of like they're sitting there and they're like, well, this is kind of in the playground. It seems good that this is a thing we do. So let's just do it. So I think if it's in the will of God, it seems good. Yeah. Yeah. Not right or wrong. Mm. Yeah. And I, I'll maybe I can't share. Oh, sorry. I can share. I can share that for me, I never felt like in my life, I was like, Chris, you're going to be called to be to plant a church. Mm. I just kind of like volunteered and I was like, this seems good. Seems okay. Like, mm. This seems fun. Mm. Like, 
I like doing this stuff. <laughs> and here we are. It doesn't seem a bad thing. Yeah. And I want to do a BTM podcast mm. in five years time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Well, Chris, I'm going back to you mm. on this one. Thanks for, <laughs> for tying up that last question. Um, Chris, this, yep. is a, this is a big one. And I'm, I'm really, I'm not surprised that this came through when we're talking about problems of Jesus. This question says, how would Jesus have responded to questions about homosexuality and identifying as transgender? Mm, it's a big question. It's a big, big, big question. And, um, and I've sat with people in our community. I've spoken to them about this for hours and hours on end over multiple, multiple um, times. And so before, before I share with this, I, what I want to do is share something that I think the church has done really, really poorly um, obviously there's lots of things the church has done poorly in regards to this, but I think there's one thing that I wanted to highlight because I think it's helpful for, for anyone listening is that what the church has done is we've created environments where we've, someone's sexual identity um, is in competition to their identity in Christ. And we've kind of made these two things that are competing, like, hey, here's your sexual identity and here's your identity in Christ, and they've got to compete against each other. And so I feel that unnecessarily people have walked away from faith or unnecessarily found faith irresistible because these two identities have been in competition with each other and and they were never meant to be in competition with each other. Um, Your identity in Christ is not in competition with your sexual identity. But here's how I think Jesus would have responded um, to questions about homosexuality and identity um, and transgender as well. I think he would have responded with empathy, not with fear. Um, I think people who are listening to this podcast who are part of the um, LGBTQ plus is, I believe, the correct way to refer to the community. Um, may have ex- experienced Christians responding with fear, and I just like that's horrible. That's horrible to share your story and have someone respond with fear because yeah. fear causes people to lean away. And the reason I think Jesus would have responded with empathy is because empathy causes people to lean in. And one thing we see over and over and over again with Jesus is that Jesus was constantly leaning in towards people. Um, I think this situation would have been a situation Jesus leaned in towards, not one that he leaned away from. And just to clarify what empathy is, um, I love the way Reggie Joyner puts it. Reggie Joyner says, empathy is the ability to put your own thoughts and feelings on pause long enough to think and feel with another person. So it's not saying, hey, you don't, you know, you don't change your beliefs or alter your beliefs. It says, but what you do for a moment is you, you put them on pause so that you can put yourself and feel and think the way the other person thinks and feels. And, and I would say that Jesus would want to do that. And I would say, I want to do that as well. Um, and if you're a listener that you've, you know, you've listened with this personally, um, I, here's something I can say, I can't walk a mile in your shoes, but I would say I can walk miles with you. I can walk next to you while you walk the miles in your shoes. And, um, and if you want to talk about this and if you want to figure this out, um, if you're someone who's wrestling through this, um, or kind of wrestling through, Hey, how does this fit into faith or, you know, um, this whole, I think there's so many different facets of this conversation. Um, what I would say is please reach out to us via the website. Like I would love to, I'd love to talk to you about this. I'd love to navigate and, and help where I can in this conversation. Um, because I, honestly, I just think that's how Jesus would approach the situation. He'd lean in and he'd say, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Hmm. So go to the website, 
if you want to if you want to talk about this, if this is something that's um, has affected you personally, um, I'd I'd love to talk about it. Yeah, awesome. This brings us to the end. Our last question of the entire mm. bonus episodes. I'm excited. So you got to get like a hip pad where you can like press a button. And yeah. In the meantime, I'm more than happy to be the um the air horn. Thank you, Riley. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite question that came through, and it is written with air quotation marks. And I'm going to do them in person. Great. But knowing it's an audio format. <laughs> <laughs> so just listen to the change in my voice as you as you listen to this question. Uh, the last question to wrap up. The Beyond the Message podcast bonus episodes of the Problem of Jesus series is this. My problem with Jesus is we are told that Christianity is different because we can have a relationship with Jesus, if you pick that up. Well done. Lots of Christians will refer to the personal relationship they have with Jesus. But what is the relationship? How is it different to an imaginary friend or a deceased family member or friend? All you have is the teachings he has left us. It feels very one way and not a living, breathing relationship that I can relate to. Whoa. That is a brilliant question. I am so excited that Riley chose to answer this. (laughs) (laughs) No. I do see the little... Yeah, I see a little CP initial there. Uh, Ah, excellent. Excellent. No, I love it. That, That is... That is such... Man, no, we've said that way too many times. But it is, it is a very, very good question. It's honest. Like, I like that it's honest that, you know, that um, that someone can say, hey, you guys are talking about a relationship with Jesus, but I haven't experienced anything like that. Mm. And, and I don't know if this person is maybe also saying this as well, saying, hey, I've talked about this personal relationship, but then I ask Christians about it and they can't really explain it. Mm. They can't really talk about it. It just kind of seems like, honestly, they've got an imaginary best friend. So I, I totally, yeah. I totally understand this. Um, I think this kind of ties together a lot of the different pieces that we've been talking about um, throughout this series, particularly parts one, two, and four I'm thinking about. Not part three. Not part three. That was a bit more miracle-y. Um, but I think one of the things that Jesus, that differentiates Jesus from like an imaginary friend or a deceased family member, um, and, and let's just use like the imaginary friend or, or perhaps you know, a friend who's passed away. Like I, I think of my, like, well, I'll use a personal example. I think of my granddad last year, my granddad passed away. Um, the difference is if I talk to my granddad, he can't talk back. If I look through my granddad's life, there's nothing in my granddad's life in the way he lived that would lead me to conclude that he was God. There's nothing that he said or attributed to himself, or there's no claims that he made that I would need to verify to kind of go, ah, you stand the man like was he was he God in a bod? Mm. Um, so I think that's like one key distinction is that that Jesus made a whole bunch of claims about himself that we need to take very very seriously, um, and and we need to take the time to kind of figure out okay well if he is God if he did make those claims can we establish them and I think we looked in part one that we can establish a fair bit about what Jesus um, had to say. The second thing is is Jesus didn't kind of just say, hey, I'm an imaginary friend. I'm here for moral support. He actually said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, whoever comes to me can have life. And so kind of like right looked at this in, um, in part two, that Jesus isn't just kind of going, hey, I was a guy who lived. He's like, hang on a minute. I am, I am the way, the truth, and, um, and the life. 
And so I think that, yes, we are left with teachings, but those teachings make some pretty, pretty big claims about who Jesus um, claimed to be. And I think one of the things we discover in the teachings of Jesus is that we're left with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we're left, left with this gift of the Spirit to help us navigate this. And I, I really wanted to kind of take this question in terms of this relationship thing um, and kind of pull out something that, that Martin Luther um, said and emphasized in, in this idea is that, that what, what someone is talking about, I think, when they use this term relationship, because I, I, I get it. It sounds weird because like all of us are sitting around this table, we all have a relationship with each other, mm. but we hang out together, we spend time together. Um, and so it's kind of weird. What what rela- this relationship is talking about is, is faith or trust. Because that's what's really on the line here. Like it's faith or trust that Jesus is who we claim to be, that we have this faith in Jesus. And um, Martin Luther kind of looked at this idea that faith is actually, this, it's kind of like a multi-layered word. And so he talked about that there's three levels. And the first level is, um, is what he called nosha, which is just simply the cognizance um, at the most basic understanding of the idea that like, hey, God exists. And so perhaps at this level, there's like this, co- there's like this awareness that like, yeah, no, I'd agree with the proposition mm. that, that God, God exists or that God's there. But at that point, it hasn't, it hasn't sunk down. It hasn't penetrated to any deeper level than mm. just like this mental awareness. Um, then he calls this kind of, he says the next level is a census, which is assent to the proposition kind of, or the, you know, the kind of thing that's saying like, um, that faith is there. It's kind of saying that like, hang on a minute, I've got, you know, there's more to this and it's kind of seeping down mm. deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and then the final part is fiducia, which is trust in the, um, which is trust in the relevant person or thing. And so I would say that these are actually kind of different components to this relationship. That The first of it is kind of this like notion, this awareness of this questioning in a minute, like I've got some questions about God. The second stage is this a census, like, hey, I'm kind of, I'm kind of beginning to think that, that actually it might be true that God exists, that actually that, that maybe Jesus is my savior. And the third, third mm. way is this fiducia, which is actually, I would say, this point that we come to where we sort of say, hang on a minute, like God entered into history to save and redeem the world from themselves, to save me from my sin, but also to, um, to save the world from their sin. And that what is on offer is to actually be born again and to actually be made new. Hmm. And I think this is where we can miss this part of relationship because what we often think, particularly in the West, is we think that my faith in Jesus is my belief in a truth claim. It's not true because Jesus actually invites us to become brand new people. Hmm. And Jesus actually says, hey, I want to do something new in the world. I want to do something new in you. I want to change the way you think about the world. I want to change the way you engage in the world. Relationships, sex, money, all of that stuff. And so um, I would actually say that it is elite, that, that perhaps this, um, this great question has been asked and it's, and it's stuck at this like intellectual level, mm. but it hasn't stepped into this whole new way that Jesus actually calls us to something brand new and a new, new way relating in the world. Yeah. And a relationship with God. Yeah. And yeah. I, it's I, not a belief in a truth claim. It's yeah. a way of living. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And for this person who says they feel very, it feels like a one way relationship, like, you know, where you're giving out, you're asking, you're praying and you're like, oh, God's not answering me. And it's not a living, breathing connection. Um, 
yeah, we, we really hope and can invite you into that next that next kind of step in the relationship. I think just to tidy out, what, what would that, what could you say to this person? How could they, you know, leave this podcast and, and step into that um, or step into, yeah, a, a new phase of that relationship that they have with, with God? Yeah, I think one of the ways is like, to ask the question, like, where are you struggling to trust Jesus the most? Mm. In what area of your life are you struggling to trust the most? Because I think if you want to take it from that, um, oh, that there's this proposition I believe in the world that God exists or that Jesus died for my sins, great. Well, how do you begin to live to live that out? Um, and so I think the first question to ask is like, well, where's the area that, that I kind of maybe struggle with the most and how can I begin to trust in that the mm. most? And then explore that on, on a personal level on a personal level mm. bring awesome. it into community as well I think is um, you know, one of those other next steps too because I know it's one thing to personally wrestle uh, with doubts or problems or questions that we've even been talking about over these last bonus episodes and over the last you know, couple of beyond the messages as well but I think when we engage in these conversations in community like we design for community mm. um, I think that's when we learn more about ourselves and more about others but ultimately more about God in the process too too good. Well, that brings us to the end of the uh, bonus episodes for the Problem of Jesus series. There it is. We made it. Uh, well done, guys. Well, thanks, thanks for hosting it. Thanks well, for thank asking you, questions, everyone. Yeah, incredible. They were phenomenal. Maybe, yeah. we'll, have to, maybe we'll have to do some, some more bonus episodes for upcoming series. I'd even love if we could have people asking questions just in our regular, our regular um, Beyond the Messages. I so, you know, if we can get questions in wherever social website, um, I'd love to bring them up because those questions are much better than what I can come up with. I enjoyed answering or asking those questions to you guys. So thank you very much for everyone who participated and, mm. uh, and stayed till the end of this one. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're looking forward to the next series, a little bit of a one-off and then into a brand new. Oh, yes. A brand new. I series. cannot wait for love dates and heartbreaks. Woo-hoo. That's exciting. Good. I heard we're doing a bonus episode of Love Dates and Heartbreaks, but we're all coming up with our own tea and submitting it, and then we'll. <laughs> Is that a thing? Can we uh, the... I feel like we just leave it there. We? <laughs> <laughs> just let this one, let this episode just finish. Uh, but thank you for listening. <laughs> a great bonus. Yeah. Uh, Thanks again, Locke.